In verse 30, it says this. As Jesus was saying these words, many believed in him. Hallelujah! Right? Not so fast. These same people that believe in verse 30 are about to pick up stones to kill him. And the text makes explicit that it's the same people in verse 58 who want him dead. Now, there are many people, there are many people who hold a kind of faith in Jesus that doesn't change them. Now, it's most public, especially in the West, and politicians and celebrities say they love Jesus, they're Christians, they give votes. But you look at their life, and there's zero change. And we all personally know people like that, right? They say they love Jesus. They say they're Christians, but they don't love God. They don't love people more than themselves. They have some kind of belief in Jesus, but they don't do what he says. That kind of faith does not save. We're going to see that in this passage. We'll see that not everything that is called belief really saves. And then we'll see that in real belief, when it's real, Jesus frees us from slavery to sin. Amazing. In real belief, he saves us from slavery to sin. We're going to see he alone is the one who can save us. That becomes clear in this passage. And we'll see that the way he frees us is through the truth. That's how Jesus sets us free. So let's look at the fact that not everything that's called belief really saves us. So remember, verse 24 of last week, Jesus says, we would die in our sins unless we believe. So belief is important. I mean, this whole book, the book of John is written. John has a purpose statement in his gospel. It's in John chapter 20, verse 31, where he tells us that the purpose of this whole book is that the people who read it would believe. Here it is. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's what John wants. He wants you to have life, and life comes through believing. He wants you to believe, but he wants to make sure that it's real. He wants to be crystal clear. He wants you, personally, to be crystal clear that your confidence, your trust in Jesus is the right kind of belief. There's a kind of belief in Jesus that isn't real. And it's not the kind that saves. He wants to make sure that's not you and that's not me. Now we've seen this before in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 2, there are people who believe in Jesus and then they turn on him. In John chapter 6, there are people who believe in Jesus, and then they turn on him. Later, in John 12, these people are going to say, Hosanna to the Son of David! You're the King! You're going to save us! And then they want him dead. So quick. If you think, how is that even possible? 
you probably don't know your heart very well. It happens here. Verse 30. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. Then look at verse 31. The first verse of our text. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So he's talking to the people who believed. But their belief is not the kind that saves. Just skip down. Look at verse 37. He's talking to the same people. And he says, I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So, so in some sense they believed, but Jesus is saying, my word has no place in your heart. Then in verse 44, he's going to tell the same people they don't understand what he's saying because their father is really the devil. And then in verse 58, they will try to kill him. They believe. Is this kind of belief going to save them? No. What's the difference between a kind of faith, something you could call belief in Jesus, that receives something from him, the truth about him, and then turns on him, or just walks away? What's the difference between that and real belief? That question is really important for us. It's what John wants, who wrote this. It's what Jesus wants, that you'd know the difference. And that you'd be saved. So there are two things here that Jesus tells us about real saving faith. The first thing is this. Real belief the kind that saves, remains in Jesus' word. Look at verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide, now that word means to remain or stay, to abide somewhere, you're, you're staying somewhere. You're remaining. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. So Jesus is saying, okay, those of you who believe, if you want to know whether your belief is real, here's the test. Do you stay in my word? That's how you know. That's how you know whether you're truly a disciple. Do you stay there? Do you remain in the words of Jesus? Well, what's Jesus' word? Jesus' word is the message he's declaring about himself throughout this book. Jesus shows up and he says, I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the new temple where people meet God. I'm the sacrifice for sins. I can show you what God is like. So that's Jesus' word. He's telling us, you and me, that he brings us to God and that he satisfies our souls. That's Jesus' word. That's his message. If you stay in that word, so, so think about Jesus' word. He's saying, I'm going to satisfy you. Think of that like a big ball that you can get inside. His word. Yeah. Jesus says he'll satisfy me. He'll give me life. He'll be my sacrifice. He'll bring me to God. I want to stay right there. 
I want to stay in all that he says he will be for me. That's where I want to be. Jesus says, that shows you're a true disciple. If you want to be there and stay there because you know it's life, that shows you're real. Real belief stays near him. It stays close to him. It loves the things he says about himself, and it doesn't want to leave those things. It endures. It lasts. Now, here's the second difference that we see in this passage between real belief and belief that does not save. Real belief frees you from the power of sin. Now, we're going to dive into this in a minute. Like, what does it mean to be free from sin? But notice, one thing in Jesus' mind that sets true disciples apart from those who say they believe but they're not truly his disciples, one thing that sets them apart is that they are set free from sin. Jesus says in verses 31 and 32, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? Look down at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jump to verse 36. So if the Son sets you free from sin you will be free indeed. True disciples are set free from sin. We don't say that enough. True disciples are set free from sin. Real belief in Jesus always brings freedom from sin. We won't be sinless in this life. If any of you are starting to go down the drain of despair right now, we will not be sinless in this life. But an evidence, a proof that your belief in Jesus is real is that you've been freed to say no to sin. If your faith doesn't do that, it's not real faith. That's Jesus' whole point here. This is not some side point that Jesus is making. His point is this. You say you believe, but I want you to recognize if you are a slave to sin, you're not a true disciple. That's what the conversation's about. If you continue to live a life of sin and you say you believe in Jesus, you are not truly his disciple. Now, before we move on, let's talk about why this is important for evangelism and for the life of our church. Jesus did not want to assure people that they were saved because they said they believed but they didn't really believe. It was far more important to Jesus that the people who listened to him were really saved than that the number of people who followed him grew. I mean, this is 
the opposite of the way most ministries work. I mean, you read verse 30 and you might think, they believe. This is a big win for Team Jesus. They say they believe. Bring them in. Baptize them before they change their minds, please. Don't ask them what they believe. Or try to examine whether there's been any change in their life. Look at these numbers. That is disaster for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's not just a potential disaster. It is a real disaster on the church of Christ right now. When we divorce supernatural transformation from what it means to be a Christian and we assure people that they're really saved because they said it, but they don't really know him. If you want to inoculate, do you know what that means? It means when you inoculate someone, you give them a little something so that they can't get a virus. It's an inoculation. If you want to inoculate people to the gospel, tell them they're saved when they're not. They will never hear again. Unless God shows mercy. Jesus did not think this way. And we shouldn't think this way either. Listen, we want to be clear with the gospel. <laughs> we do not want to create obstacles for people to become Christians that are not there. But as a church, we are not interested in growing our numbers at the expense of making sure that people really believe. I hope that you are there too. I hope you're there too. Jesus loves people enough to tell them. Do we? I mean, in the life of our church, I think this is what this will look like. It will look like us saying to people who say they're Christians, but there's no transformation in their life. Brother, sister, I don't know that what you say lines up with reality. Now, there is a tendency, I think, among Christians, because we want to be gentle people, don't we? And that's good. We ought to be gentle, and we want to be patient. But we're afraid, like, if I challenge this person, they're going to run away. That's not how Jesus thought. Jesus thought, you want to make sure they're real. If challenging them makes them run away, then it shows it wasn't. But please, love requires of all of us. I don't, I don't mean me as a pastor only. But all of us in this church to care enough, to love people enough, to care about their souls. It is far better that someone be saved from eternity onward than that it's comfortable to live with them for a few minutes. We should want to have the same priorities as Jesus to make real disciples not cheap, quick, fake disciples, but those who really trust him, whose faith is transformative, supernatural, and who endure to the end. So let's, let's talk about what Jesus does now when he sets us free from sin. Because he does. 
An amazing promise here. In real belief, Jesus frees us from slavery to sin. When the Jews hear Jesus say that the truth will set them free, they don't like it. Look at verse 33. They answer him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, if you have read your Bible at all, you know there's a lot of irony here. I mean, how many books of the Bible do you have to read before the Jews are enslaved? Two. They've been conquered by almost everyone. They're slaves in Egypt. When they enter the promised land, if you read the book of Judges, they're conquered by the Canaanites, the Midianites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Assyria, Babylon, Persia. As they're having this conversation with Jesus, they are under the thumb of the Roman Empire. So, when they say they've never been enslaved to anyone... They probably are not talking about political slavery unless they're just completely clueless. What's probably going on is they're saying, hold on, Abraham is our ancestor. Spiritually, we're slaves to no one. We're a cut above everyone else. Abraham is our father. We have the law of Moses. They think that they, of all people, are spiritually liberated, free. I mean, part of the irony here is, if you read your Old Testament, almost every time that they are politically enslaved, God tells them it's because of their spiritual slavery. But they don't see it. They don't see it. So Jesus says to them in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So they say to Jesus, we're not slaves. And he answers back, do you practice sin? If so, you are a slave. Without Jesus, that is all of us. If you don't feel it, it's still true. Some of you feel it. Without Jesus, we are all slaves to sin. Sin is bondage. So sin is just when we turn away from God, we disobey him. We want to go our own way without him. But here's why it's slavery. Here's why sin is slavery. When you are a slave to sin, you are not free to do what is good for you. That's your slavery. When you're a slave to sin, you are not free to do what's good for you. Here's what's good for you. Enjoying a relationship with God. That's what's good for you. Enjoying fellowship with God and living for his praise. That is actually what's good for you. 
I don't just mean good, like eat your vegetables, it's good for you. I mean, this is the way you get the most joy in life. Living with God for his praise. But sin deceives. It's, it deceives, it tricks us. Sin deceives us into thinking that when we're sinning, we're free. So when you sin, you think you're free because you're doing whatever you want to do without God telling you what to do. So you feel free, don't you? But in fact, you are a slave because you are not free to do what's actually good for you. Your slavery is that you love what's killing you. And sin is bad news. It's not just killing you. It's that you love what's killing you. What you love, the sin you love, it's warping and deforming your humanity. What you crave is rotting your soul. If you met a man who could eat whatever he craved, this guy can eat whatever he wants. I think, well, this guy's free. But he only craved trash and toilet water. Would you say that man was free? No, that man's a slave. His slavery is not that he cannot do what he wants. He can. His slavery is that what he wants is disgusting, and he can't change that. That is you and me and our relationship with sin. It is. And if you are a slave to sin in this life, you cannot have eternal life. Verses 35 and 36, that's what Jesus is trying to get across. If you practice sin, you're a slave to sin. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains. So here's his warning. If you're a slave to sin, sure, it's bad in this life that you're consuming what's destroying your soul. But Jesus says, if that's you in this life, you won't remain in the house. And he means heaven with him forever. We will not live with him forever. But he says, verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus can set you free. He can, and he's the only one who can do it. When he does it, and when he says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed, he means, if I set you free, it's real freedom. And he's offering it to you. Do you want to be set free from sin? If so, first, you need to be forgiven. All of us. So Jesus, when he's dying on the cross, if you're not clear on this, he's dying to take away punishment for your sin. That's what's happening. 
and it counts for you if you believe. You're free from the slavery of guilt for sin. Jesus does that on the cross. Then he does more. As a forgiven sinner, Jesus breaks the power of sin over your life. He puts the Holy Spirit inside of you and he allows you to taste and see for the first time. This is what happens when you become a Christian. For the first time, you're tasting that the trash and toilet water of sin that you've been loving and consuming is killing you. You taste that for the first time, really. And you get to taste that he is food and drink for your soul. That's what happens when you become a Christian. When that happens, the power of sin over you is decisively broken. You will be free indeed. Free from slavery to the guilt of sin and free from the slavery of its power over you. Now, if you're going to be free from sin, you have to recognize that only Jesus can do it. You, you can't be trying to get other saviors to be your freedom and have Jesus really set you free. You have to see only he can do it. In verse 33, why did the Jews think that they are already spiritually free? Because of who their ancestor is. Abraham. So, so here's what the Jews are thinking. Listen, Abraham is our great, 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 great grandfather. Sin doesn't have power over us. It does over the nations, but not us. And Jesus says to them in verse 37, yes, Abraham is your ancestor, but that does not mean God is your father. These people think that their ethnicity saves their souls. They're wrong. They are dangerously wrong. Only the Son, only Jesus can rescue your soul. If you want to be free, you have to recognize. I'm pleading with you. Do an assessment of your own heart, your nationality, your parents' faith, your last name, coming to church, doing good things for other people cannot save you. Only Jesus can. So if you want to be free, run to Jesus. But that also means running away from all the other things you think save you. You can't just come to Jesus and take those saviors with you. False saviors. You have to run from them and say, no, I have one plea before God. I have one hope for freedom. Just one. The Son. But he sets me free indeed. Now lastly, let's see that Jesus frees us through the truth. He does it through truth. So in verse 36, 
we saw it's the son who sets us free. So Jesus is the one who does it. He does it. But he does it through truth. This is so important. Jesus has freedom for you. He gives it to you. But the way he brings you that freedom is through you knowing truth. He doesn't give you a pill that sets you free from sin. He doesn't put you through a ritual to set you free from sin. He gives you truth. And through knowing the truth, he sets you free. Now, this separates Christianity from a lot of Far Eastern religions that tell you, okay, if you want to be free, what you need to do is empty your mind. Get everything out of your mind and you'll be free. Well, that might be relaxing, but it's not going to free you from sin. The way you're free from sin, according to Jesus, is filling your mind and your heart with truth. It's the truth that sets you free. Now, truth sets you free from sin in two ways. And they relate to the freedoms we talked about before. Freedom from the guilt, the slavery of guilt for sin, and freedom from the power of sin. Truth frees you in both of those ways, okay? First, it's truth that sets you free the moment you trust Jesus and are forgiven. It's truth that does that. And it's truth that continues to set you free moment by moment in this life once you trust Jesus. So here's how someone who's a slave to sin, and this is all of us, all of us before Jesus. We're slaves to sin. We're guilty. We deserve to die. We're separated from God. We have no hope of eternal life. Here's how someone like that, like us, gets saved. It happens when someone tells us the truth about Jesus. That's how it happens. It happens through someone telling you, listen, You're separated from God because of your sin. You're guilty. You really do deserve punishment from God. That's what's going on in this world, and that's what's coming. But God loved you so much. He sent his son to be one of us, to live a perfect life, and then to be punished for you. And that's what he's doing on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He went to the Father's right hand. And listen... If you believe that, that truth, you'll be saved. It is through you hearing that, hearing that truth, that Jesus can save your soul when you believe it. If you listen to that truth and believe the slavery of your guilt for sin is broken and you will be forgiven. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It's talking about what Jesus has done that saves people. It's talking about truth. He uses truth to open people's hearts to believe, which means we are, we, we must be, 
a preaching people. And, and by that, I don't just mean what I do here every Saturday. I mean, we have to be telling people what Jesus has done. Yes, we have to pray. Yes, we have to pray if God's going to work. But listen, the way that Jesus brings dead people to life, the way that Jesus takes unforgiven sinners and makes them forgiven sinners, is when they hear the truth from your mouth. That's how it happens. We can wait and wait and wait and wait and wait for Jesus to just zap people into his kingdom. But the way he'll do it is when you preach the truth. That's how he breaks the guilt, slavery to sin's guilt. But it's not just the first time that he does that. The truth is how he continues to free you from sin. So if you're a Christian, your guilt is forgiven. Hallelujah. That, that slavery to the guilt of sin is gone. And you've tasted in your soul that God is better than any sin. That happens when you believe. Your slavery to sin has been broken. Think of, think of sin as a slave master that you have been chained to with a chain your whole life. Wherever sin wants you to go, you go. Always. But when you trust in Jesus, he shatters those chains. You don't have to go where he takes you anymore. But that old slave master, who's not your master anymore, will follow you around until the day you die or Jesus returns, whispering in your ear, trying to get you to come back. You're not chained to him anymore. He can't pull you around anymore. You've really been set free. But he's going to try to persuade you to come. I hope that's hopeful for some of you. You hear Jesus say, listen, if you're truly my disciples, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. If you're one of my disciples, you are free indeed. And you might think, okay, I still struggle. I still struggle. And you will until the day you die. How do you fight back against that old slave master who's trying to persuade you to come with him? Through the truth. The truth will set you free from his persuasion. Listen. Sin's power over you and over me to enslave us is that it tells us that by ignoring God and going our own way, we will be happier than if we draw near to God. That's how sin works. Just think about sin in your own life. You're never compelled to sin. You're persuaded with the promise that you'll be happier if you do it than if you follow God. But that's a lie. Always. How do you fight a lie? Not with a gun. Not with a knife. The way you fight lies is with the truth. 
So, when you're tempted with lust, here's, here's what's going on. Lust is lying to you and telling you that it will give you more pleasure than following God in purity. That's what's happening. So what do you need? Not a gun. You need the truth that God will be more satisfying than sin. That's how you get set free. Matthew 5, 8. Listen to Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart. Because I said so. That's not what Jesus says. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. That's how you fight the temptation to lust. You hear, oh, I can know the joy of seeing God in purity? I can't make that trade off. Sin's lying to me. That's how you set yourself free with the truth. When you're tempted to be anxious, you're starting to feel like the future is out of control. So I've got to take control or I have to panic, freak out. Here's what anxiety is doing. Sinful anxiety. It's lying to you and telling you that God can't be trusted, that he will not do you good in the end. So you need truth. You need to hear God say, my hand is good. It's for good on all who seek me. Ezra 8, 22. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. That's how in the moment Jesus will free you from anxiety. The truth is how he will free you from every sin. Now, I don't want to make it sound like it's simple. We've got complex problems. We don't even understand what's going on with the sin in our hearts. But I want you to know that if it's sin that's your complex problem, this book is enough to set you free. The truth will set you free. Now, if this is how we get freedom for sin, the truth, I'm talking about Bible now, if this is how we get free from sin, you need this every day. Every day. I mean, this is coming from your pastor. I would not be a Christian. I wouldn't survive. I would not, I would not survive two months without this book. I wouldn't. I would shipwreck my life. I need this every day to taste. Yes, he is good. I've got to have this. He is good. He is more satisfying than sin. I don't understand all that's going on, but I know that the truth will set me free. I've experienced in the past. I've got all sorts of sins and problems ahead of me, and I need truth. You need it. And through it, 
Here's the promise. You will be set free. And the Son will set you free indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Oh, we, we were all of us slaves to sin. Without you, without hope in this world, with chains around us that we didn't want to be broken. And you sent your son not to your friends, but to your enemies to be crucified for our sins so that we could be set free. Oh, I pray that we would love the freedom from guilt that we have in Jesus. And I pray that you would help us, those who have been once for all freed from sin, to continue to be freed from sin's persuasion and power. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.